mind to try and make different assumptions. In every interaction, trying to assume the best rather than assume the worst. And sometimes we're dealing with people and we have interactions and and it's pretty obviously that it's negative and maybe there's a history there but I'm just talking about okay foundationally like as we go about our lives this underlying kind of assumption that we make about how we're going to see other people and how we're going to treat other people we're starting from a place of assuming the best and not assuming the worst does that make sense so that's something that I have been working with, uh, wor- working over the years in my own life. And with that in mind, I was thinking that we could try and experiment this morning. I was thinking that maybe we could take that kind of idea and apply it to how we're going to read from our text this morning. If maybe there were a couple of assumptions that we could make, a couple of assumptions about the character and nature of who God is. That maybe as we just read these verses, it's going to help us take, take them on in a different light. Maybe it will help us understand them a little bit more or a little bit better. And not just about these verses that we're about to read, but I was hoping that we could maybe make an assumption about God this morning, about who he is, about his nature and about his character, and have that not only affect how we're about to read our verses, but affect every other area of our lives too. Like what difference is that going to make? So if that sounds good, you can find 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse number 5. So if you have your Bibles and you want to look that up, if you have your Bible app, you can uh, look up uh, there too on your phone, or you can just see it here on the screen, whatever you prefer. But here we go, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 5. Here's what it says. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. So let's dive into this a little bit and let's start off by figuring out what this assumption is that I'm even talking about. And here as we get started, the the author of of this letter, 2 Thessalonians, Paul, as he's writing, he says this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Evidence. Evidence. It's what the Hardy Boys or Sherlock Holmes looks for, right? It's proof. This is proof. Proof of what? Proof of the righteous judgment judgment of God. Let me word it another way. God's judgment is righteous. And so here's here's the assumption that I want us to make this morning. We can word it a couple of ways. God is just. God is right. God is just. God is right. And I want you to keep that idea in your mind this morning. It's really simple, but I think that as we unpack it a little bit and as we think about what it means, it's going to make a, a huge difference in how we read this text and also of how we just see all of these different areas of our lives. It's a really transformative idea. So what I hope to do is look at the rest of our text this morning with that as our filter and assume in everything we read that God is just and God is right. But again, every area of our lives, if this is true, it's going to make a huge difference. So hopefully, what you can do this morning before you leave is be able to complete one of these two sentences. Because God is just, blank, 
or because God is right, blank. Now, how you complete that sentence might be different than how I do, but I hope that we can wrestle with it and you can find a way to fill in those blanks and fill in uh, for yourself this morning. Because God is just, I can trust him when I am being mistreated. Because God is right, I know that his plan is best. Because God is just, I know that whatever evil may be in the world, or maybe even whatever darkness is in my own life, or my own marriage, or my own family, or whatever, I know that because God is just, he is, he is light, and he is good, and he is love, and ultimately will make all things right. Because God is right, I am compelled to obey him and do what he says. See what we're going for here? That's going to be the idea this morning. There are many ways to fill in those blanks, and we're going to fill them in with different ideas as we read through our text this morning. So how, how do you need to fill it in? But these are the foundational beliefs that I hope that we can hold on to, that God is just and God is right. And evidence of this fact, you can see it here in our verse. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. And in verse 4, if you remember last week, what we learned is that the people here that Paul was writing to, they were going through really hard times. They were suffering. They were undergoing persecution, mistreatment. And um, we unpacked that a little bit last week. And it continues here in verse 5. It says that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. So if you think about this and we think about what they were going through and we think about what maybe you're going through today. And I don't know what your story is this morning. I don't know what you may be bringing to the table or what baggage may be on your mind or on your heart. But whatever it may be, whether it is just hard times, disappointing news, um, financial setbacks, um, the betrayal of a friend or a loved one, and there's some hurt that you carry, there's some mistreatment, maybe it's sickness, I don't know what it could be. But all of these are examples of suffering. And we may not be suffering in the same way that the people here were suffering, but maybe you're carrying a little bit of suffering um, in your own life this morning. So the people here that Paul was writing to, how, how does the belief that God is, is right and God is just, how, how does that impact how they deal with their suffering? And that's a really kind of important idea because as you and I go through our lives, we're going to face hard times of our own. We're going to face all sorts of, of roadblocks and st uh, stumbling, uh, st whatever. It, it's going to happen in our lives, and we can't avoid that. So the question is, how are we going to face those things? And even beyond just like facing those things that are in front of us, I think the even bigger question is, how do we choose to see God as we're going through the middle of these things, Right? Um, how, how do we carry uh, our, our assumption about who God is, even in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our suffering, in the middle of our disappointments and our setbacks and our hard times? Like, how, how do you see God? Who do you believe that he is? And so that's the question at the heart of really everything that we're going to talk about today. And there's going to be different ways that we apply this. And right now we're kind of applying it to suffering. But whether it's good times or bad or, or any of the other things that we're going to see, that's really what I hope that you can just carry in your heart and just think hard about right now. How do I see God? 
Is God good? Is God just? Is God right? Life may not be fair, but is God just? Life may not give me what I think that I deserve or what I need or even what I want, but is God right? Like, is this true of God? Even when things don't go in my life how I hope or how I want them to go. And so the people here, they were wrestling and they were suffering. They were going through hard times, but yet uh, if you look at the, the verse prior, verse 4, it says they continued to grow in both love and faith. They continued to grow, and I think it has a, a, big, a big reason why is because they had this, this assumption about who God was. They had this underlying idea about who God was, that God is just and that God is right. And if we carry that with us, it's going to make a big difference in how we face suffering in our own lives. So I hope that you can see the difference when we remember that, that God is just and God is right. It helps us have faith and reminds us that he is with us even when we don't feel like it. That's kind of the big idea of this, these moments of suffering. They are hard and, and there's no way to just, you know, smile and pretend that it's not difficult. So we don't feel like it, but we have this belief that because God is just, because God is right, he is with us even when we don't feel like it. And what's more, I I love how this verse says that evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. So this point about being considered worthy of the kingdom of God, it's really interesting, um, and I think it's important too, because it was not the people who did anything special, like to make themselves worthy, but they were worthy because of what Jesus had done for them. So I think this is important for us to understand that, that as believers in Jesus and what he has done, what's true of, of these people right here, that they were worthy of the kingdom of God, it's also true of us today. And it's not because we've done anything special. It's not because we're as good as them or worse than them. It's because of what Jesus has done that we have been made worthy of the kingdom of God. We are members of his family. We are citizens of his kingdom. And as I was thinking about that this week, it just made me think and wonder and question, like what difference would it make if I go through my life and instead of just, you know, kind of knowing in my head that, yeah, Jesus has has made me right, Jesus has forgiven me, Jesus has made me worthy, Jesus has made me, instead of just knowing those as like facts, what would it mean to really just go about my life and live that way and just believe it from deep down in my heart that I am worthy? Because God is just, because God is right, because of who he is, he has made me worthy. He has made me right, he has done this. And so even though I've messed up, God has made me worthy. Even though I stumble and I fall, I am still a member of his family. Even though I I have these these shortcomings in my life, I am a citizen of his kingdom. And so we can go about our life with that foundation. They, whoever they are, they may let me down. But as a citizen of the kingdom of God, I have this assurance and this faith and this confidence that he never will. This understanding based on what Jesus has done for us, it's really empowering. And so maybe that's how you can kind of finish these sentences because God is just or because God is right. I know that I am worthy and a citizen of his kingdom. So what is it that you need to fill in those blanks this morning?
The verses continue, though, with suffering in mind. Um, Verse number six, it reads, Since indeed God considers it just to repay affliction those who afflict you. We see that word just here again, and it's uh, really interesting. We learn that God considers it just to repay affliction uh, those who afflict you. Now, that's pretty interesting, and there's a couple of ways of looking at this, okay? On the one hand, we can take the whole, hey, if you mess with me, God's going to get you approach. We can take that type of an attitude, but it's probably not super healthy, and it's probably not what is, is being said here, and it's not something that we should be super vocal about. Your boss gives you grief at work, right? And you respond with, watch out, God's got some affliction coming your way. Your spouse, affliction. Your kids, affliction, right? That's probably not a good idea. Your neighbors, you better turn that music down. Why? You're going to call the cops? It's probably not the idea here, um, and it's probably not very healthy, Mess with me, the Lord will afflict. Yeah, not a good thing. But there is another idea here, and I think what it does is it takes the responsibility off of me to, to change them. Um, it, it takes the, the responsibility even off of them to do the right thing, and it ultimately places it with the Lord, who says, I've got this, I will handle this, I will make this right. And so sometimes we're going through um, these, these trials or even the mistreatments of others. And it's very easy to want to see this like affliction happen right now. But sometimes it's a, it's a matter of, of just trusting and waiting and ultimately not being the one who executes that judgment and executes that vengeance ourselves, but says, you know what? God is just and God is right. So this, to me, is a sense of peace. Whatever ill comes our way, one day everything will be made right. And here's how I've worded it. Because God is just, because God is right, I can endure mistreatment because one day everything will be made right. And this idea continues in in verse number seven, so I'll read it. Not just to repay affliction with those who afflict you, but verse seven says, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So not only do we have this promise that, that there will be an answer to suffering and mistreatment, but we also have this promise of relief. And I love that word, relief. Not just will God take care of whatever that issue is over there, but there's this promise of, of relief. And it's almost like a, a heart thing, you know, where, where it's not just the outside thing, but there's this beautiful relief. Maybe you're feeling some pressure today. And I don't know what from, but, but maybe you're feeling it. And maybe it's the result of some mistreatment against you or just the general stress of life. Um, maybe it's wounds from your past. I don't know what it is, but you feel that. And there is a good news, though, and that's the promise of relief. And so maybe that's just how we need to word it. Because God is just and because God is right, I have the promise that this pain, this hurt, this anger, this stress, whatever it is, won't 
last forever. Because God is just and God is right, relief is on its way. But when? That's the tricky part, right? When does it say? When does this whole making things right and granting relief happen? Well, maybe it happens in moments here and there. Maybe there are these moments when even today as you're just thinking about this and you're just reminding that God is just and God is right and you just, you just choose to believe that today, maybe there is an immediate sense of relief in your heart. Maybe if you say, you know what, um, vengeance is not my job description, it's God's, and there is a weight lifted off your shoulder. Maybe there is suffering and hard times, and you're just in the middle of that, and you're like, I don't know how to get out of this, but I'm going to choose to believe that God is good, and God is just, and God is right. And there is an immediate sense of relief that just comes to your heart. And that's good news, and I hope that happens. But what we see here is that, that there, there may be seasons when, you know, it's just up and it's down and it's up and it's down. But one day, it will all be made right, and that is when Jesus is revealed from heaven. So this is like an interesting exercise in setting expectations, right? You know, you've had to do this with your kids probably as early as, as today. Yes, you can have ice cream, but only after dinner, right? Yes, we can go swimming, but not at 10 o'clock on a school night. Yes, we're going to ride some fun rides at Disneyland, but no, we're not there yet. We just left our house. Don't ask me again. And if you touch your brother again, I'm going to turn the car around, and we're not going to go at all. Setting expectations. And so that's kind of what's happening here. Jesus is coming, but he's not here yet. But how do we finish the sentence? Because God is just, because God is right, I can look forward to the coming of Jesus. Because God is just and right, I can keep going even when things are hard. Because he's just and right, I can look forward to a bright future, a hopeful future, even if my present is full of hurt or stress. When Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. That's quite a picture, isn't it? When Jesus is revealed. So there's this idea of something that, that it's there, but we may not see it. And everyone doesn't even necessarily believe in it, but one day there will be a revealing. When every eye will see, when every tongue will confess, you know, and that is what we are looking forward to. His return in glory and power. And the next verse, verse number eight, tells us even more. Not only will he return, but verse number eight says, he will return in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now, I'll admit, this one is a little tough. Um, it's intense. It's hard to read, right? So just think about what he's saying there. Jesus will return in flaming fire. I don't know what all that means, but I assume there's a lot of symbolism there. But whatever it actually means, and, and whether that's like flaming fire or not, I know that it's intense. It's a big deal. And it, it signifies power and glory. And um, to what end is the question? Well, it says to inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Verse 9 continues this thought. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Um, this is intense, but it's something that we need to really wrestle with and think about. Like, what is he saying there? What does that mean for our lives? And what does that mean? Um, very real talk about 
punishment and destruction for those who don't have this saving relationship with God through Jesus. So for me, here's the takeaway. Because God is just, he cannot let sin go unpunished. Because God is just, there has to be a reckoning. There has to be um, a a dealing with this, this, this glaring issue. And because all of us have sinned, because all of us have done wrong, we have all um, broken the rules. We have all disobeyed what God has said is the way in which we should follow. We have all fallen short. Now, how, how are these two things reconciled? All of us having sinned, and because all of us have sinned, and God being just cannot let that just go undealt with, what is What is the solution to that? Well, there's really one of two ways of looking at it. And on one hand, we are given the option to bear the full weight of that sin ourselves. We we are given the option to carry the, the reality of that punishment ourselves or in what is the good news of all good news is we have this story of Jesus who has come as savior, as rescuer, as restorer of all things. And Jesus has come and said, I will do what you never could do. Jesus who took the punishment, Jesus who took the penalty of our own sin. Jesus who, who where we deserved death and judgment and condemnation, where we have broken God's law. And, and if, if any of us have any question whatsoever that, that maybe we have not broken God's law, Well, we're just not being honest with ourselves because anyone and everyone should just readily admit that, you know what, I have lied. I have mistreated others. I'm not always the innocent one who's, who's the victim of other people mistreating me. You know what? There's been times when I've been the one who, have, who I've mistreated others. And so all of us have to, to look in the mirror and say, you know what? If I'm honest and I stand before a holy and righteous God, and if I just bring my own abilities and my own good deeds, there's no way that, that, that I would be considered innocent on my own because I, I am guilty and I have done wrong. And the scriptures tell us things like if you've broken one law, then you've broken them all. And so what, what is the answer other than to just bear the weight of that and say, yes, I am guilty and the only um, punishment um, that is, 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 is just and right is what we're reading about here, this idea of eternal destruction and, and separation from the presence of God forever because that is just and that is right. But the, the hope and the solution to this problem is that Jesus has done what we could never do. Jesus has taken all of the sin, all of the, the guilt, all of the penalties for my crimes and my mistreatment of others and my lies and my anger and my rebellion and all of the long, countless list of, of grievances that, that I have in my own life. And what happened when Jesus died on the cross and ultimately was buried and rose again, what we see here is that Jesus taking upon himself as, as a, in my place, punishment for my sin, bearing the full weight of that. The Bible says that Jesus, he knew no sin, but he on the cross, he became sin for me that I might in turn be made the righteousness of God. 
And so there was this beautiful exchange that happens where I come as a, a sinful, broken, hopeless human being and Jesus comes and in the greatest story that we could ever hear, we could ever believe, trades us all of our sin and in turn makes us righteous, makes us worthy, pardons us of our sin, and it's a beautiful thing. And, and, and because God is just, he can't let go, sin go unpunished, but also because God is just and because God is right, he's made it possible for us to avoid this fate. And so this morning, what we have to do, what we have to wrestle with is not finding ourselves in a position of like judging others and saying like, who's going to heaven, who's going to hell sort of a thing. Not of of looking at others and saying who's in and who's out, but just taking a moment and just examining ourselves. Like, you know, have I believed? Have I chosen to accept what Jesus has done and, and believe this good news and surrender my life to the fact that you know, I couldn't do this on my own, uh, but Jesus having done it for me, you know, I, I choose to believe that. And in turn, it compels us to want to share that with others because there's a very real reality that we're wrestling with here um, because God is just, because God is right. He speaks of this in, in verse 9 about suffering and even punishment and destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Um, there's this story, I don't know if, uh, uh, I had to look it up because I didn't know if it was completely true, but it turns out it was. His name was George Wilson. George Wilson was a bad guy. Um, he and a buddy of his in the uh, 1800s, they robbed a uh, U.S. postal carrier. George Wilson and his friend, I think his name was James Porter. They were both sent to prison and they were sentenced to be executed. James Porter was executed on schedule, but something happened. George Wilson, he got um, pretty good news. President Jackson had offered him, for whatever reason, a pardon. You would think that would be good news at least. George Wilson said, no thanks. So they took him to court. They were like, George, buddy, listen, you don't have to go through this. And he just refused. And so this case actually went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled that this pardon is not actually in effect unless he chooses to accept this pardon. And so, lo and behold, George Wilson was executed. Crazy, right? And so I think that is such a neat story to really wrestle with about this idea, though, that he was guilty, he had this pardon, but he chose to just let it go. And so maybe that's where you find yourselves this morning. Maybe you've never really considered what Jesus has done, and this is your opportunity, and you find yourself a pardon being handed to you, and you're really faced with, okay, now what am I going to do with that? And I hope these verses are challenging to you and really help you to consider what does your relationship with Jesus look like? Because God is just and God is right, we can be pardoned of our sins and given the promise of eternal life. When? Again, let's keep reading. Verse number 10. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, Jesus, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was... uh, but yeah, because our testimony to you was believed. Again, we'll see it, uh, we see it again when he comes on that day. When Jesus comes again, two things, to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believe. Let me sum it up by saying this is going to be a really good day. Verses 8 and 9, it's rough. It's intense. It's, it's something to really think about with, with, with a somber um, 
way of thinking. It's scary even, but verse 10, that is the goal. And now notice our next verse, verse number 11. To this end. To this end, we also pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. There, it's mentioned again. And may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So what was the end goal of all that we've read so far? What is this big idea about This is the foundational truth about the character and nature of God, that he is just and that he is right. And so we've talked about a number of things. Because he's just and right, I can trust him when I'm mistreated. I can believe that his plan is best. I I know that he's with me even when I don't feel like it. I have the promise of eternal life, of eternal relief. And, And Paul says two things here that I think are really interesting. Number one, the result of all this is that he'll make you worthy of his calling. God is just and he makes us worthy. Nothing we could ever do on our own. But also, number two, not only does God make us worthy, but it says here that he is the one who fulfills every good and every work of faith um, by his power. So I, I, I love that. On the one hand, we're reminded of our identity, of who we are. God has made us worthy. On the other hand, we're reminded of the source of, of that power and that ability, that God's the one who, who not just gives us these desires— gives us these intentions, gives us these dreams, but he's the one who, who gives us the ability to live them out and to fulfill them. So we all have these good intentions, right? And, and so these dreams that you have of making a difference in someone else's life, uh, these dreams that you have of learning and growing in your faith, these dreams that you have of, of, of raising your kids to know and love Jesus, all of these intentions, all of these good intentions— They're given to you by the Lord. Those are good dreams. They are good resolutions, good desires. And because God is just and right, he not only gives them to you, but he will help you actually have the power to to live them out. The resolve for every good work of faith. Why? Well, here's our last verse. So So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's our last verse this morning, and this is what it's all about, that God is just, God is right. Um, and as I've tried to read these verses and make sense of each one along the way, I've, I've chosen to have that where we started. This is evidence of God's righteous judgment. Righteous judgment. God is right. God is just. And I've tried to have that be a filter through which I've read everything else that we've kind of looked at this morning. And not just these verses, but I've looked at my own life and said, okay, how does the fact that God is just and God is right, how does that affect my life? How does it affect my my personal life? That God is just, that God is right. How does it affect my family? That God is just, that God is right. Or, Or my relationships with others, how does it impact Uh, How does it inspire me to trust the Lord and to do what is right? How about your career or your fears or or whatever situation you find yourselves in that might be really disappointing or even something that's really good going on in your life? The highs and the lows. How, How does this belief of who God is help you look at that situation maybe a little bit differently? What does it inspire you to do? How does it inspire you to act? This reminder that, that God is just, God is right. And because of that, I can trust him. Because of that, he will make right all that is wrong. 
Um, because of that, I have a hope in him no matter what is thrown at me because he is right. So how do you need to finish that sentence this morning? Because God is just blank. Because God is right blank. And I hope that as we close and as we wrap up this morning that you can just ask yourself and even pray, Lord, how do you need me to answer that question? Because God is just. Think about your career. Because God is right. Think about your family. Because God is just. You're thinking about that situation of mistreatment and suffering. Because God is right. All of those fears are starting to swell up about your future or about the what-ifs of life. But because God is just. Blank. Because God is right. Blank. And I hope that you can answer that in some way this morning. Would you pray with me as we think about that together? God, we pause right now as we, as we wrap up this, this time together. Um, everything that we've looked at, we've really only scratched the surface of. There's so much here in these verses. And in just trying to find a way to, to apply them to our lives, we're reminded that you are just, that you are right. We're reminded that you are holy, that you are good, that you are all-powerful, that you are in control. And this morning, as we close this sermon, I pray that you would just speak so loudly to our hearts and that we would be reminded of these things, of who you are, that we would, we would assume these things to be true and that, that you would use these things to change every area of our lives. Thank you for being just and thank you for being right. We ask it in Jesus' name.